dispatch. Packets of fire all around. Dear Chief, much has happened since we last spoke. Welcome to Dear Chief Podcast, where your hosts and their guests share the 411 of being married to the people who respond to 911s. Take a peek into fire family life and get unabashed advice on how to prevent forest fires in your marriage. Now, here's your hosts, two seasoned firewives, Audra and Chelsea. Today, we are talking to a newer firewife, Krista Harkins. Krista is a mother of two, a proud firewife, and a powerhouse in Chicago's real estate scene. She leads one of the city's top real estate teams. Krista's journey into the firefighting lifestyle is a relatively recent one, but it didn't take long for her to grasp the profound reality of what it means to be married to a firefighter. Shortly after her husband graduated from the Chicago Fire Academy, his engine company faced the heart-wrenching loss of one of their own in the line of duty. It was a life-altering experience that left a lasting impact on their family. But the challenges didn't stop there. Just months later, Chris's family encountered an unexpected medical emergency that forced her husband into a six-month-long medical leave. These unforeseen events brought about significant changes in both her work and family life. However, they also offered her a unique perspective. Krista now deeply understands the importance of letting go of what cannot be controlled, especially when confronted with the unexpected obstacles that inevitably come with the firefighting life. Krista's journey took an intriguing turn when her husband introduced her to our podcast. Listening to the show, she found comfort in hearing the stories of other women who shared her experiences, assuring her that there is a strong community of support for firefighting families spanning across the nation. Furthermore, Krista gained a newfound appreciation for the vast differences between wildland firefighting and city firefighting. With this fresh perspective and a desire to connect with others who share her journey, Krista is here to share her own story. We believe her experiences and insight will resonate deeply with many of our listeners, providing a unique and valuable connection in the world of firefighting and the challenges it brings to families like hers. So without further ado, let's delve into Krista's inspiring journey and the invaluable lessons she's learned along the way. Welcome, Krista. Thank you so much. Thanks for the introduction and for having me. So tell us a little bit more about your kind of your family background, how long your firefighters been with the department. So relatively newer as a firewife and fire mom. Um, my husband graduated from the academy in 2021 so just about almost going on the fourth year now and we have two kids ages four and two so your hubby started in 21 in the middle of pandemic yes yeah it was super fun (laughs) so it was tough honestly i mean obviously none of us knew how long it was going to last chicago was pretty strict with the lockdowns right away and you know in real estate it was a very busy time which was great career-wise, and also we're, we were adapting to the shifts of everything. So, you know, that was very busy. I was also pregnant and had a two-year-old. And at that time, let's see, I guess he was in the academy right when COVID hit, so 2020, and then he graduated 2021. So he was gone pretty much every day going to the academy for 2020 while I was home working with, you know, being pregnant and having our other child. And I was pretty isolated, honestly. (laughs) We did everything with work via Zoom. And especially with my team, we're very, very connected, almost like a second family. So that was a big emotional switch for me. I'm just a person that needs to be around people. I need to have 
that connection and I vibe off of other people's energy. So it was tough. It was tough for sure. Okay. Tell us what it's like in a big city department like Chicago Fire. We were just talking about this off the air. Chicago still has the, you know, you have to live within so many miles to actually be in the department, which we don't have that out here because there's no way. (laughs) Yeah. Not possible. So give us like a little breakdown of how Chicago Fire operates. Sure. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's pretty strict rules. Like when he first got into the academy, there was actually somebody that came out to our house and made sure that we lived in the city grounds, came into our house, looked at everything in our house. It was pretty crazy. I had no idea that that was going to happen. I didn't know what to expect there. And then from there on, it was just pretty much known. And I mean, my husband did give me a heads up on that, but you know, we also never knew when exactly he would get called. I think he signed up for the list maybe like seven years ago or something. And so, you know, part of us were like, well, he might not ever get called because you can't get called past 40 years old. But then he did. He got called right in the start of COVID. And, you know, we just knew from from there that he was going to accept it and go through it and graduate and be a firefighter in Chicago. And we were going to have to stay in the city for forever, <laughs> pretty much. So that was definitely a, another mind shift for me and something I had to adapt to because I'm from Wisconsin. And I think somewhere in the back of my head, I was like, I think maybe we'll move back to Wisconsin and, you know, be closer to my family and be out of the city life. But, um, yeah, it's it's not going to happen. So. so when they came to your house, I guess making sure that he's not lying about his address or something. That's weird. That's crazy. (laughs) I've actually never heard that, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah, I mean, I had no idea that that was going to happen either, but yeah, yeah, it's pretty direct though. Tell me about how he signed up seven years ago and he just got called. What was he doing before and what brought him into the field? Yeah. So he was actually an electrician. So a union worker electrician in the city, which also had similar guidelines where you had to be in the city And when he started that apprenticeship, he signed up for the firefighting test. Then he got called in to take the written test. And then, you know, it's it's just whenever spots are needed, then they go down the list and it's all random. So he just he just got called and then he took another test and a physical test. And then from there, you go through the academy, which uh, I think was around nine months or so. And then after that, he got just randomly placed in an engine house. Interesting. And during Academy, were you kind of given any expectations from the department, like what was going to happen during probation, anything like that? Not really. The thing about Chicago, which is interesting, and I'm learning this as, as being a part of the family. And I think Joe, my husband, was expecting this a little bit more just because he's lived in Chicago his whole life. But it, it takes a long time for the city to get back to you about anything, to be completely honest. So we didn't have a ton of information. It was kind of like, whenever you get called, you need to be ready. You need to go in for the next step or whatever it was. So no, we did not have a lot of heads up on anything. That's... Yeah. So how does it work then in California? Kind of sounds, <laughs> kind of sounds like Cal Fire to me. I don't know. Here, uh, so you made a list. Oh, by the way, you're hired. Oh, by the way, tomorrow you're going to Academy. Oh, and also, mm-hmm. let's not tell anybody about anything because it's a secret society. That's, that sounds similar. So it's, it's pretty much the same. <laughs> I don't know why it's like that either. It's like, can't can't we get a heads up on anything so we know what to expect? But no. Wouldn't that Probably be a little helpful? It would. But it seems mm-hmm. to be the same as, as a firewife, right? Yes. You never know what to expect. You can't really set any expectations. And at the same time, it's so important to set them. Well, <laughs> so. and then on top of that, like the department does have expectations of you as his spouse. 
but yeah. those expectations are not shared. And so everybody's like in this free for all and everybody has expectations of everybody, but nobody knows what they are. 100%. Even, how does that compute? Like it, the math isn't mathing, you know? <laughs> oh, I know. I know. You just have to take it week by week, you know? <laughs> and then every new experience that you go through, it's like, okay, now I know what to expect with that experience. And also, don't forget, it could change next time, even if it's the same exact situation. Right. So, exactly. So yeah. you get no nothing from anybody about what to expect during academy, what to expect during probation. And then your husband starts with probation and there is a casualty, an LODD. Yes. So yeah, it was, it was pretty wild and obviously extremely sad, but um, I would say, so he graduated, yes, from 2021. And then it was that December, they had a fire. I think it was at like two o'clock in the morning. And you know, in Chicago, it's like a lot of structural fires, buildings. So I believe it was a three flat or some sort of apartment building. And, you know, when they approached it, they didn't expect that, you know, it would be a big tragedy result. And, you know, honestly, we still don't really know exactly what happened, but they went in, there was a fire. I think they detected that the fire was downstairs and in the basement and started on a couch or something like that. And the young man that died in the fire, he went down to the basement and then long story short, they couldn't find him. So, you know, of course, everyone is going back in and looking for him, looking for him. I know my husband was one of the ones that went back in as well. And, you know, it's crazy to think about because I wasn't there. All I see is what I'm imagining in my head. So I can't even imagine what it was like for him. And then this other, the person who passed away because it was pretty much their first fire. (laughs) These two, like my husband was straight out of the academy. Sean was straight out of the academy as well. And so, you know, they're going in and, and they did save some people. They pulled some people out. And unfortunately, he just didn't make it. And I will never forget that phone call that I got from my husband at three o'clock in the morning, sobbing, crying. And my husband is not a crier. I mean, he's just not. So I, I knew something really bad had happened and traumatic had happened. And, you know, I'm just sitting there on the phone trying to put all the pieces together and figure out, well, okay, this is happening and it's real. And then what can I do? You know, I can't go there. He can't come home. It was just all a very surreal situation. I honestly, I didn't really know how to handle it. So I think we just hung up the phone and I was like, I go back to bed. I mean, you know, it was just a very weird situation. And for that to happen so soon, I then realized really quickly the seriousness of this career. And and then, of course, being pregnant and having another kid, I was like, I'm going to have to set expectations for them, too. And then you start thinking really far in advance and all these what ifs, you know, it's a lot. So I don't think I knew that that lifestyle was going to be such a huge, drastic shift and continue to shift as our family grows. And at the same time, I am really grateful for it because I think it has built a lot of resiliency in in me and and my family and my my husband. So, you know, that's always good. So they didn't take his engine company out of service after a line of duty death? They didn't. It was a really small engine, too. It was only, I think, maybe just five guys. No, they didn't. I mean, after that, it was all about planning a funeral, doing the memorial service, everything. Do you know if they brought in critical incident team or anything like that? So I haven't heard anything about a, a critical incident team. However, the most that they did, I think, was offer them some sort of therapy. To me, anyway, it seemed like it was like, you can call this number or, the, or these people are available for you if you need it. And of course, like my husband, he's not going to be proactive and like 
make the initiative to call and do that. So not really. I don't think any of those guys sought any help after that. No. So were they in the academy together? They were either in it together or they were they just missed each other, but they both joined that engine at the same time. So, so they, two new guys in a brand new house, mm-hmm. one of them passes away and they don't bring in any counseling. They don't down the engine and they just expect the crew to keep working like nothing happened. I mean, yes, pretty much. And at the same time, it was pretty amazing what the individuals of that engine house did to remember him and to support the family. We did like a charity fundraiser for their family one night. Ended up being a really happy thing and a great way to support the family. I got to meet his father and his siblings. And this this guy was an all-star guy, you know, a huge guy. Joe told me he was a big football player, just like a great guy, you know. So there was a lot of support, which that was definitely a positive thing. But that was all done by the individual guys in the in the house. They did a memorial statue for him. Everybody pitched in to get that done, and it's at the front of the house now. So he's definitely there. But in terms of, like, the overall department, I would say once it was off the news, no, there wasn't a lot of talk about it or a lot of support other than just trying to figure out what happened. So how was your husband when he came off shift? Oh, he was quiet, really quiet. Didn't really want to talk about it. I don't think he even realized exactly what happened. He he was in shock too, because I do remember him continuing to say, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I don't understand how it happened. I don't. And then he would say things like, we were putting on our gear together and we were like laughing before we went out. Like, I don't get it. You know, I think he was just in total shock. And also maybe kind of like me, where we just didn't think that something so tragic would happen, maybe even at all. Because also, and I don't know how it is in California, but so many young guys in Chicago and women, but mostly guys, I would say, if you grow up in Chicago in the city, like being a Chicago firefighter is like badass, you know? <laughs> So it's always looked at as like being this cool thing and whatever, but it's an intense job. I mean, you're saving people's lives and you're risking yours too and risking others, obviously. But you don't think about it, I don't think, unless you're really hit with it. So yeah, he was definitely in shock. Yeah. So there's something about, I don't know if it's a big city and this is just my observation. I feel like in those big cities, it's like a a lot of stuff is looked over because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're with this big city and you're this badass. So all of what they think is frivolous stuff, they just sweep it under the rug Mm -hmm. and there's nothing really addressed like with the crews and with their families and stuff. Maybe that's just in general. I don't know. Maybe it's not just a big city. It's not that I talk about it now that I think about it out loud I don't know yeah I mean I think sometimes big cities focus on things that don't actually matter and so those issues take prevalence over real issues just in my opinion from what I've seen but yeah I mean and it happens everywhere for sure and how is your husband now he's good he is good he loves what he does he has so much pride in what he does and He's always had that in him, so I I did know that this is always the right career for him. I think it truly is his calling. And then I think after what had happened, it gave him even more reason to want to have that sense of pride and be a really strong first responder, strong firefighter. And now, ever since then, he does every like certification, every every test, everything that he can get in order to continue to elevate within the, the department he's going for. Is uh, air, sea, and rescue now. He's never even swam before really in his life. 
I mean, other than just like jumping in the pool, you know, it's the summer in summer or something, but he's good. I'm really proud of him. He's pushing himself and he really wants to be doing the right things in the, in the department. So yeah, he's good. And then right after that, you guys also had some other stuff happen to where he had to take a pretty long medical leave. Right. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. That was another unexpected situation. So he played hockey on a Thursday night. This was probably a month after, you know, the whole loss of of Sean. And we were sitting in the dining room table, maybe the Saturday after a Thursday, he played hockey. And he was like, Krista, did my eyes look like weird or something? And I looked closely and I was like, one of your pupils is larger than the other. He was like, really? He was texting a couple of paramedic buddies, you know, in the department. And one of the guys wrote back and just said, dude, you need to go to the hospital right now. You need to go to the emergency room. So, of course, my husband didn't want to go. He's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's okay. (laughs) And I was like, Joe, let's just go. There's no reason not to. Your mom can come over and watch the kids or whatever. And so we went to the emergency room and they took him in for an MRI and he had a TIA, which is kind of like a mini stroke. It's like a artery dissection. So thankfully he didn't have a full stroke, but if we hadn't gone to the ER that night, it was, it was pretty likely that he would have had a stroke. So again, just, you know, unexpected situations and also super grateful that he's still here and it's keeping him stronger every experience that that he goes through. So that took him on medical leave for six months. So then he was back at home all the time. (laughs) And we were still in COVID. So a couple months after the LODD, he had a TIA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So then that, that restricted him from basically doing a lot of activities that he loves. He couldn't golf couldn't play hockey. The doctors in the beginning or the neurologist even said, you know, don't lift your babies or your kids. He just had to be really, really careful. And he was on blood thinners. So that automatically took him out, you know, on medical leave too. And I will say after that point, I mean, I'm sure it was a combination of the two that, you know, the two things that happened, but he definitely went in a place I hadn't seen him go. It was hard. It was hard. He felt like he was not doing anything. I think he lost his sense of purpose a little bit. So that was a long road that year. And then when he finally got back into the, the firehouse and he finally got patient back, he was then going through another transition and we ended up moving as well and had a set, you know, our second baby. So it was a lot, but I would say now he's, he's doing really, really well. And like, I feel like we're finally kind of getting into a rhythm. What are their shifts like? Are they 4896 or? No, they're not. And I, I heard a lot of a lot of people on your show talking about the longer shifts and then longer breaks, it sounds like. But here, for the most part, it's 24 on, 48 off. So it's quicker. And then, of course, it sounds similar to California as well, where you're on a list for overtime. And if he gets called like at six o'clock in the morning, you kind of have to say yes or no. And he's always like, I'm going to say yes. So we just have to be prepared for that. So yeah, that's it. He has one day to recover. And, you know, so I try to be respectful and understand that he's he's tired, especially if he had shifts all throughout the night. And then it's then only one day to kind of catch up on everything. So it does feel kind of quick too, to, to get back into any kind of rhythm. Yeah. And it's nice to just have him home. So pros and cons, I think. So you're working full-time, husband's working full-time. Mm-hmm. You guys have two kids. Mm-hmm. Yep. How's the adjusting going at home? It's good. You know, I think once I finally accepted, and I I would say I'll be truthful, I'm still not quite there, but like accepted the fact that I have to be really flexible, the more flexible one, 
you, you guys have always talked about the default parent and all that. And I never really thought about that until I started listening. And I think for a long time, I felt like this is so unfair. Why? Just because my work is flexible and yours is an absolute. Why does this all have to fall on me? I feel like I'm moving backwards in my job. And then I feel like I'm frustrated with that and kind of disappointed in myself. And then I feel like, you know, as a as a mom, then because that energy is kind of there, then I'm not being the best mom I can be either. That It can be hard still, but I think I just need to get to a place of fully accepting this is what it is and fully supporting him and our lifestyle and getting a better grasp about it. You know, we are getting better about it every week. So it's just figuring out the balance and also being positive and making sure that we're on top of our schedules as much as possible too, so that we're splitting all of our time where need be and also keeping our marriage strong, which of course, you know, everybody knows is effort in itself. So yeah. I mean, don't get it twisted. Like we're over here 15 years in still just like all the same feelings. (laughs) No, I think, I think I finally resigned myself to the fact that I'm just not going to work because it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I I literally made that decision this year. I'm like, for what reason? Yeah. Like for me. I know. I know. I mean, I shouldn't say this because my bosses are probably going to listen to this because they're (laughs) the best and they support me they're like brothers to me and my whole team is awesome which is pretty much the only reason I'm staying but yeah I thought the same thing like some days I'm like why am I even working like I don't even feel like I can give anything there because I just can't the priority lies where my family is and they need me especially I mean it's never going to change when your kids get older as you know and I'm not there yet but especially when they're little they need me like physically and emotionally quite a bit so you know I just have to put myself there and yeah. then work the best that I can and do the best that I can because it I does matter to me too. It's really hard for us, I think, as moms, because we feel like, like you said, I mean, we've talked about this a million times about being the default parent. It's mm-hmm. one of those things where it's like, I don't know where in society, well, I do. A long time ago, they decided that the man works and the wife stays home and all of the responsibilities for the home life and the kids fall on the mom. And it's one of those things where it's kind of like, how do you get out of that? Especially (laughs) when you are married to a firefighter or first responder where it's like, they can't work part-time. They can't decide what days they're working. You Mm -hmm. don't have the option to, you know, work your schedules and try to coordinate things Mm -hmm. all the time because of overtime and things like that. And Mm -hmm. it's very hard, especially when the kids are little. I mean, I stayed home for eight and a half years until my youngest Mm -hmm. was in kindergarten because I was like you, where I was just like, I I don't know how to do this. I I can't be five places at once. It's not humanly possible, right? And so- I think it just leads women to believe that it's our job to take over all of the family dynamics. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's really, really hard. Yeah, it can get exhausting. And especially if you're like me and you're you're not good at certain things like cooking or I don't enjoy that. You know what I mean? So I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, let's put a frozen pizza in the oven. (laughs) That's clearly what we're having for dinner tonight because, you know. The kids got fed. Who cares, right? I know. I know. I know. It's It's one of those things. And some days you're like, oh, God, I suck. You know, like I'm giving them pizza or mac and cheese or whatever. But yeah. I think we had about like five staples when the kids were younger, especially on (laughs) ship night. It was like nuggies, mac Mm -hmm. and cheese, pizza, tacos. Grilled cheese. Grilled cheese, quesadillas. Wait, wait, those were the staples when the kids were younger? Because I'm pretty sure those are still the staples now when my kids are teenagers. Well, those were what I was making. Now they make it themselves, okay? True. 
That would be one upside as they're older. Can make it themselves. My yeah. oldest daughter is like, we're like, what do you want for dinner tonight? And she looks at us. She's like, cake. Like, really? Okay. We'll get right on that. Oh my gosh. That's a, a firefighter's kid right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I would sure. like a tri-tip and uh, mashed potatoes, please. Um, and mm-hmm. a Caesar salad. And you're like, yeah, no, that's when dad's home. Sorry, I'm not doing that today. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's funny. But I think that the bottom line is no matter what, you are a good mom. You are doing your best and you have to keep reminding yourself all of those things. As long as they're being fed, they're going to live. As long as, you know, they're taking a bath every other day or whatever, they're going to survive. All of the expectations that everybody in society has told us for so long, it's like, no, that's not going to work. I have to also survive. So we're going to do what works best for our family and we're going to be okay with that. And I'm not going to feel guilty about it. Right. Because. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, thanks for saying that. It's always a good reminder. Yep. And I think all moms really do feel that, you know, so it's just something that moms feel. Mm-hmm. I know. All right. Any last thoughts you want to share before we put you on the hot seat? Oh yeah. I was nervous about that part. <laughs> no. I would just say, you know, anybody in Chicago, feel free to reach out because it took me a while to find some people that I could actually relate to, especially when you move around and you're like newer into the into the lifestyle. So I'm always open with connections and I'm really grateful for the connections that I've made so far. And I'm looking forward to, to making more and supporting each other. So, yeah, thank you guys for uh, everything you do. I'm glad my husband introduced me to the show. Wait, <laughs> how did he find us? Probably scrolling on Instagram while he was, you know, on shift, sitting down, just looking at videos. And then he sent it to me and then I sent it to a couple of friends and, and I was like, oh, this one, this episode is good. You should listen to this one. And yeah, so it was, it was nice. It was helpful. So we're just going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions and you're just going to tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> Do you like pumpkin spice or no? No, not at all honestly no i can't do it i'm a black coffee nothing in it strong coffee drinker we have some good spots in chicago so i have to take advantage of that nice i think you're the first person we've ever asked that that said no really oh my gosh yeah. that the other day for like pumpkin spice and he was like put pumpkin spice in everything <laughs> oh god <laughs> i just can't do it i can't pumpkin pie is fine that's pretty much it all right. What do you do for fun with your family? Ooh, for fun with my family. I would say we have a lot of fun mornings, which is interesting because I've never been a morning person, but we will blast some music. We used to do salsa Saturdays. So we would we would make breakfast and put salsa music on and just like dance around. But yeah, we'll do that. And then we have a little trampoline downstairs in our basement and our two girls are hilarious. And we put music on and they jump around together in there and like make up little games so i'd say dancing and playing the music and just eating together are probably our tap activities that we do for fun sounds like my kind of party what is one book you are currently reading or would recommend to our followers okay i knew you were going to ask that question so quite honestly i'm not a huge book reader i like to read articles and just kind of snippets here and there but I do have this one book that's called The Daily Stoic. It's something that you read every day is a different, you know, kind of message. And I like that because I'm just that type of person that is sort of like a philosophical, I like the philosophy type thinking. And it's a good way to keep things into perspective and stay positive. So I say The Daily Stoic is kind of a cool, unique book, especially if you can only read like one page at a time, like one page a day. (laughs) 
So that's helpful. Interesting. You're the second person we've come <laughs> on in the last like month that has talked about stoicism. Really? really? Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I like it. If you could say one thing to any fire chief, what would it be? Any fire chief? Oh my gosh. I have no idea. Like a question or just say anything? It's just anything that comes to mind. Anything that you want to say or have ever oh. wanted to say. The first thing that came to mind, honestly, right now is can you please provide bulletproof vests for all the firefighters? Truly, they got a lot of scary runs. Ugh. And I think it's kind of crazy that they aren't protected in any way. Some paramedics are, but none of the firefighters have any kind of gear like that to protect them. So sort of not. We got it in 2021. Did you? That's mm-hmm. good. That's yeah. good. I hope that, uh, I hope we follow because it's all important. All right. Last question. What encouragement would you give to a brand new fire spouse? I would say, just like anything, you're going to have good days. You're going to have more challenging days. And like I said, kind of in the beginning of us chatting, that be prepared to have situations come up unexpected, almost like expect the unexpected, and also know that you're going to get through it. And throughout every situation, you are building resiliency for you and your family and and you'll get through it, and that you do have a community. Just a little bit more challenging to find it, but it's out there. So keep on trucking. <laughs> I love that. Krista, thank you for spending time with us and telling your story. Where can people find you on Instagram? Do you want to give me your handle? or? Sure. Yeah, my Instagram is um, khark underscore realtor firewife, I think. <laughs> I have to... I think it's K-Hark Realtor underscore Firewife. That's it. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I told you I'm not that great with the uh, digital anything. And I hope people do because I have a lot to learn too still. So if you're a fire spouse in the Chicago area, find Kristen and uh, this can form a fun relationship together. Yeah, for sure. And for our listeners, if you enjoyed the show today and you'd like to keep hearing from awesome guests like Krista, please consider leaving a rating and or review on your favorite listening apps. These reviews go a long way in getting the podcast seen and heard by other first responders and partners just like you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Find us on social media at Dear Chiefs Podcast and online at DearChiefs.com. Tune in weekly for the 25,000-foot view of loving a first responder. Audra and Chelsea, over and out. (laughs) 